Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going to speak to you about some uh, new radiocarbon dates that we have from County Kilkenny on grape pips. And these are the earliest archaeological evidence that we have for the grape in, in Ireland, would you believe? Um, the dates were very, very kindly funded by the Royal Irish Academy. Can you hear me okay? The dates were funded by the Royal Irish Academy uh, radiocarbon dating scheme and Queen's University Belfast, and, and we are very, very grateful for that funding. Um, the analysis of the grape pips for radiocarbon dating was, was very kindly permitted by the National Museum of Ireland as well, it has to be said. So what I'm going to do is just very quickly review the literary and archaeological evidence for wine consumption, uh, the possibility of viticulture in Ireland, vineyards in Ireland during the early medieval period. And I'll describe the two sites just in, in, uh, in very, very quickly that produced the pips in question. And I'll hand over to, to Susan then, who, who's going to describe the archaeobotany of, of the grape in Ireland it in context and we're going to ask the big question really was there ever viticulture could there have been viticulture in early medieval Ireland and could there ever have been a chateau Kilquinig as I have in the first slide there from AD 11 112 and a half percent the Irish, uh, as uh, I don't need to tell you, we have a very long and a loyal affair, I suppose, with, with wine, um, probably stretching right back to the Iron Age. We <coughs> might have evidence for wine drinking at places like the Wrath of the Synods, the 2nd to 4th century AD habitation there produced a lot of drinking vessels, very fine glass vessels, you can see them on the left there, and a lovely... Uh, Gaulish, Samian form, uh, Roman style drinking vessel on, on the right. So we don't know that these were used for the consumption of wine in particular, but chances are, I think, that that is what they were used for. With the advent of Christianity, then, of course, wine becomes an integral part of the Christian liturgy, and there's extensive evidence for, of course, for the use of wine uh, in the, the ecclesiastical context. Literary references to wine in early Ireland are pretty common. Um, the saints' lives, we have the, the life of Kieran of Clanmacnoise, and he describes how in, in uh, his day that merchants came to St. Kieran with Gaulish wine. We have St. Molua, and he describes how water is changed into wine in the city of St. Canis, interestingly enough, which is we can equate with uh, Kilkenny. In the seventh century, then, we, we have a, a penitential that's uh, ascribed to Cuman, who dies in 662 AD. And this describes that if he spills any wine from the chalice to the ground through negligence, it shall be licked up with his tongue. 
suppose you'd have to suspect that there might have been a fair bit of negligence at the time. Uh, when Irish monks travelled to the, the continent on pilgrimage and in their schools of learning and so forth, you really get this sense from the, the early literature that they had a, a, a real knack of getting themselves involved in vineyards and in wine production on the continent. So we have St. Killian, and he plants vineyards in the main valley in Germany, and he's also the patron saint of wine growers. And then we have St. Fiacre, patron saint of gardeners, of course, but he hones his skills in the vineyards of France. Uh, in the 10th century, then, there's a, there's a story in the book of Leinster, and this describes there's these four junior clerics, and they go on a pilgrimage to Rome, but they get waylaid in a vineyard in France at the time, and uh, there's letters going to and fro trying to get them to come back and stop making a holy show of themselves over in, in France, and uh, they eventually arrive in Rome, they're hauled back to the monastery in Ireland. And whoever thought anyway that it was a good idea to send four students off to a vineyard in, in France is uh, probably needs their head examined. And then we come to this really intriguing quote from the Venerable Bede in, in the 8th century. And he famously said that Ireland abounds in milk and honey and, but he also goes on to say, nor does it lack vines, fish, and birds. And that raises the possibility, of course, that maybe there was some sort of vineyards here uh, in the early medieval period and perhaps viticulture. But then Geraldus in 1187, in his Topographica Hibernica, spoils the party and he says that Ireland has not and never had vines and their cultivators. So that's Geraldus. He is there and he is basically saying, here's yet more evidence that the Irish are a barbarous lot. They don't even have vineyards here. Um, we have trawled through the early Irish laws as well. And as far as I can see, there's no nothing in the laws themselves that point towards viticulture in, in early Ireland. There's a huge amount on agriculture in general, but there's nothing very specifically about vineyards. So what about the material evidence for wine in early Ireland? Um, of course, there's the, all the liturgical plate. Again, it's all centered around the sacramental wine. Um, the Darina Flan Horde here, of course, with the basin, the strainer and the chalice, they're all connected with, with wine, of course. There's the strainer, in, uh, which was recently found in Drum Clay, Cranog, as well, from the, probably from the 10th century. And it's a, actually a timber strainer with a cross on it, which I don't have a picture of here. But it's, um, again, very, very interesting, probably used to strain the, the wine and uh, remove the pips. The ceramics then, the ceramic records, um, 
lots of evidence there for the importation of wine from the Mediterranean world, from Gaul, and it's an awful lot of it is, this is connected with the importation of wine, and uh, Ian Doyle, of course, has done fantastic work on, on all of this material. It's a common occurrence on early church sites, and we have in Kilkenny, there's just quite a bit of it as well. We've got the um, E-wares and D-wares, and there's African uh, red slipware as well, as well from one site in Kilry. The glass from this period as well tells a story possibly of wine consumption as well. A lot of imported glass, some of it very, very fine, real high status stuff. Glass cone beakers in, in the middle of that figure there um, from the 5th and 6th century. Again, they're coming probably from Gaul, connected with the high status and very kind of ceremonial, I suppose, drinking of, of wine uh, on the continent and probably the same here in, in Ireland. Uh, other archaeological evidence that, that we might look at, there's things like the drinking horn terminals and the <coughs> billhook there from, from Dowdstown in County Mead. And, and there's a, another example from a site I excavated a few years ago called White Rat, uh, identical to that. And you can see from the manuscript illustration up above that uh, these little billhooks were often used in pruning vines in, in vineyards. So again, it's a possibility. Again, down the bottom there, stave built vessels has been a bit of work done on these and some of those may have been in use for the um, either the storage of wine or possibly the, the processing of the, uh, the wine as well. <clears throat> so what has been missing, I suppose, is direct evidence for wine. We have all of this material, we've got the literary sources, but you know, what's the direct evidence for, for wine in the early medieval period? And that brings us on to our little grape pips. Um, the first of them was found in a site in County Kilkenny near Kells Priory called Rat Duff. It was excavated by Patrick, Patrick Walsh of TVAS Limited back in, in 2012. And there was an early medieval corn drying kiln which was surrounded by a penalier ditch, uh, probably some kind of windbreaker, I, I think. Um, and it, this is located right beside a ring fort. Where it's sited, it's within an early ecclesiastical estate. You've got Kilree to the south, and then there was an early medieval monastery that was later built on by the Anglo-Normans at Kells Priory as well. So sandwiched between the two of those, it's probably churchland. The uh, chamber itself of the drying kiln was, was stone-lined, a uh, big long flue, and it's about maybe 10 meter long flue, quite unusual. And the grape pip was produced from the burnt kiln deposits. Now, the, there was a radiocarbon date on some wheat grain, and that dated between the 6th and early uh, mid-7th century AD. And then the second site that produced the pips it was excavated by myself back in um, 2011 and, and 2012. 
funded by the Heritage Council, and I'd just like to take the opportunity at this moment to thank uh, Ian Doyle for all his help with the excavation that we did here, because he's a great supporter of the work that we did. Um, the dig site, it's between the 13th century Gothic Cathedral and the Bishop's Palace, that's now the headquarters for the uh, Heritage Council, and this was built in the 14th century by Bishop Lildred. And it's right beside a little garden pavilion, which is just here. Uh, it's called the Robing Room, and it was thought to have been the place where the 18th century bishops of Ossery, they put their robes on, uh, and then they walked in ceremony to the north transept of the cathedral. It was built, we know, from historical records by Bishop Richard Pocock in 1758, and he had a slightly different use of the place, more of a disrobing room, I think, for, for the bishop, because there was a scandalous poem written at the time, and it describes how there is a pleasure house in his lordship's garden, where in the scandalous jokers of Kilkenny tell us that Susan and Richard, it's Richard Pocock, uh, every summer evening in dalliance suite, in amorous sport and play, with lip to lip beguile the tedious day. So that was the, the, that's what the bishop was up to in the robing room. Um, before the conquest, this area of the of the site uh, was a major part of the major ecclesiastical settlement of Kilquinnock, possibly a proto-town. We have archaeological evidence now, pretty extensive archaeological evidence for um, craft workers' quarters. And there was a Romanesque church, a royal residence, and there was a round tower, and a whole series of buildings set within the main enclosure. And a lot of these stars are areas where evidence for bone and antler working have been found within the enclosure. This is our reconstruction of the inner ecclesiastical enclosure ditch, and our excavation was just up here. And uh, we, the feature that produced the grape pip was a pit. You can just see it up there, right beside the robing room. Uh, it also, as well as the grape pip, it produced a huge amount of bone and antler working waste, uh, as well as some very nice animal bone, archaeobotanical remains, and, um, and a, a, a couple of early medieval artifacts as well. The, one of the antler beams was radiocarbon dated then to the 11th to mid 12th century. So they're the two contexts for our grape pips. And um, what I'll do now is I'll turn over to Susan, who hopefully will be able to raise the tone a little bit. Um, so, from an archaeobotanical point of view, um, before the, the finds in Kilkenny we speak of, um, the only evidence for uh, Vitus vinifera or grape we find from later medieval sites. We have um, late 12th century Hiberno Norse pit in south 
Main Street and County Cork would have been the earliest um, up to that point. But generally, we see there from the map, it's confined to our eastern, southeastern um, urban centres, Dublin, Cork, Waterford, um, mostly. Um, we have some examples, um, not so much, but they're there in Drogheda and also in Wexford. Again, all dating roughly to, or mostly to the 13th and 14th century urban occupation. And then we have two sites in Kilkenny and in Cashel, so, so bringing it inland, and again, associated with, with urban, um, later urban medieval settlement. Um, the Donner Rail site is uh, an important one, I think, to highlight on its own because this is a rural moated site, 14th century, late 14th century. And here we have, um, uh, again, uh, grape pits found from a well um, deposit and from a ditch deposit. And these are all uncarbonized pips, so they're all from organic or anoxic deposits. So the Donner Rail, in this instance, I think is important just to highlight going forward because we, we don't find these pips in charred form, essentially. So to find um, it in, unca in uncarbonized form from Donner Rail just lets us know really that we're dealing with, you know, the absence of evidence and the evidence of absence, you know, always has to be in our minds um, when we're looking at these sites. And um, Donner Rail is a perfect example of that because it's largely from charred remains that we get most of our material for um, the um, agriculture at the time. So if just to give it some background before I, I reveal the grapes themselves, um, Ratduff Madden here, the um, 8th, 9th century site, the plant remains themselves was largely made up of wheat from the kiln deposit. And again, this is significant in the context of the early medieval period because we find wheat dominance um, on sites that are largely um, high status. So even though it was a kind of a, so the, an isolated find as such, we have this isolated kiln um, with the penannular ditch. Wheat very much tells us that it's coming from a probably high status situation. Um, the oak as well, we see there in the, in the bar graph, down the bottom left, bottom right, that um, oak, um, the second one in, was dominant in the kiln deposits. And again, recent research um, using the charcoal record is showing that, again, in this 7th, 8th, 9th century period, that oak dominant on sites, and particularly um, in these kiln signals, is showing that um, these, again, are from very high-status sites where people have um, access to, the, um, to oak when it, it seems to be not on a lot of sites. Um, at the time. Um, the charred remains from the kiln themselves on the top then, it's showing that we're looking at at least two phases. Um, so the, 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 top, the bottom two um, are dominated by wheat, which is where we get our uh, mid sixth, um, into mid-seventh century from the wheat. And then the top um, was um, dominated by um, barley grain. And this is where um, uh, it gets interesting because the, the grain that we found from the kiln was actually dated to the 7th, the, sorry, the 8th, um, 9th century. So it looks like through bioturbation, the, the grain has actually moved down the, the profile um, into the bottom of the kiln because we found it on the base of the kiln. Um, and that's um, contemporary with the penannular ditch. So we are looking at um, a modification of the kiln with the long flue. So they are looking at doing something different with the kiln in that, on that site. The Robring Room then again, just quickly, just to give you a sense of what was found, um, again very much dominant with um, oak and barley this time, but also interestingly there's a lot of fruit stones found on the site, which I'll come back to because um, we're finding a lot of examples from Anglo-Saxon um, sites where uh, these grape pips were found in association with um, a lot of fruit varieties. So this could, could help to contextualise the Robring Room find. And then we have, again, a mixed um, assemblage from the charcoal record, which is in keeping, essentially, with um, medieval sites at this time as well, where we have, uh, in this case, a dominant ash. So we don't have very much oak coming up on the site. 
So the results themselves, the two um, pips that were dated to the medieval period, um, we have the one on top left from the robing room um, dating 977 um, plus minus 25 BP. So a two sigma date there, you can see 992 1154 and the rat duff then a little earlier at uh, 1256 plus or minus 29 BP um, dating it um, into 672 to 865 range to sigma. Um, so just to give a bit of evidence and context so I suppose from the archaeobotanical side what we tried to do was we tried to understand um, why these remains are there, how they got there and um, I guess to give something to what they represent by being there. So what we do generally is we look at comparative material if we can. In this case we're quite limited in, in Ireland certainly and even in, in um, Anglo-Saxon Britain. Um, so we look also at experimental work that other archaeobotanical and environmental archaeologists would do um, and the ethnographical record as well is also very, um, uh, very useful. Uh, without having to see what's going on that um, flowchart there, that's there to, it, it's basically uh, the steps that the um, experimental analysis has given to the processing of the grape pro processing processes. Um, and it's really just to highlight in red there why these remains may have become carbonized in the archaeological record. And through um, experimental analysis um, by Martin Jones, um, He's in the University of Exeter, I think. Um, he has concluded that um, looking at ethnographical examples um, in Greece, that uh, charred, um, charred grapes and grape parts are gen are, were, were used as um, fertilizer and fuel, um, and so discarded waste. So this could be one um, example, one reason why we may be getting the PIP um, in the context um, of the Kilkenny sites. Um, we also have, um, along with pips, we have a lot of petticules or rackets, kind of chaff, you know, all the little bits that you get with your bunch of grapes. And the top there would be charred um, grape uh, skin as well. Now, these is interesting to highlight these because we don't find, we haven't found these in the archaeological record, essentially. We are just looking at the two charred grape pips um, in the case of Madden and the robing room. So in the absence of all of this um, chaff and, and these um, more ancillary type of um, remains, we are hindered with what we can say about these, rema these um, remains and whether there was <coughs> any sort of uh, viticulture or any sort of um, uh, uh, vine cultivation going on at the time. That said, though, um, it is interesting to highlight that I suppose whole grapes in the case of Madden and the Robing Room, um, they, where we do find them, we have to understand why they got there. There is um, references to uh, grapes coming to Ireland uh, as part of the imported goods um, in the must, as, as we call it, which is part of the pulp and part of the pips that would come and that the wine would come travel in to help it preserve the, the journey over from the continent. So to get whole pips wouldn't be unusual. It would be probably found um, with this, these remains. Um, if we got crushed grapes, um, uh, again, according to um, colleagues on the continent then, um, a lot of crushed grapes are found where there's more heavy pressing, where there's a release of oils, where maybe sweeter wine. So the whole grape found that we find in themselves just tells a story about maybe the processes by which the grapes are coming to Ireland um, and how they are being preserved. Um, again, just comparative information we have from Anglo-Saxon England. Um, the Doomsday Book shows a lot of different type of 40 to 42 different locations where there are possible vineyards. Um, and Della Hook, who is an Anglo-Saxon um, scholar, she um, looks at the, 
this figure here in Winchester, this um, manuscript uh, from 1030, as probably a, a realistic representation of the time whereby you may have had pruning going on Anglo-Saxon calendar from around February and may represent what was going on in Anglo-Saxon Britain at this time. So um, the only evidence for grape pip in the Anglo-Saxon, so from the 9th, 10th, 11th century, would be from um, Southampton, where Mick Monk has um, identified um, and looked at grape pips um, as part of his MPhil study, and also at the Cathedral Green in Winchester as well. Um, I suppose just sh offering some idea of maybe why there might have been um, the opportunity to cultivate vines in Ireland at the time. We look at there was, there is a medieval warm period. Um, you could argue that around 950 to, to 1250, um, there would be some evidence through the ice cores and that, that show that the temperatures are rising by a degree or so around this time. So um, there may have been um, possible conditions in Ireland to maybe at least to try something new. They would certainly have had the, the knowledge and the, um, the background and maybe some of the technical know-how coming from the continent, from the, the monastic communities. Um, the paleo, the paleology evidence then for vices in the pollen record again is very scant. There are some um, research going on in parts of the southeast of England um, with um, Tony Brown there in the University of Southampton. So he, he's looking at dispersal patterns of, of uh, vices and whether it was possible that viticulture may have been carried out in the Anglo-Saxon period. Um, again, it's very sparse and uh, it seems to be quite localised. Um, I think it makes up about 0.2% of the total pollen count. So you would need an awful lot of samples just to get one or two grains. So. Um, you may have seen in the news there in the last few months, there was DNA analysis done from uh, grapes in, in France. And, and this just shows how what we can do in the future, um, looking at DNA analysis from these grapes. They would have to be uncharged, um, but they do show that you, know, you can uh, profile signatures back, I think in this case back to 11th century or so, um, where we have um, a genetically, um, a continuous genetic line to the Savignon Blanc type of grape. So it's something that we could look at in the future for Irish examples if we find them again. Um, so the summary of evidence really, um, the documentary sources as Colleen has said, um, along with our artifactual assemblage, our, um, uh, our wonderful um, liturgical vessels, um, have all pointed to the fact that there may have been um, definitely wine coming into Ireland in the early medieval period. But the paleoenvironmental evidence is still very scant. We have no pollen um, vitus records for that period. And the archibotanical evidence for single um, stray finds, uh, we may call them, is still very dubious. Um, but it's not to say that um, in the future we would have to look at maybe this material more meticulously, especially the chaff, and it might, like others have said earlier on, it might um, allow us to revisit earlier um, examples of grain assemblages and maybe look at them in more detail to see if similar um, finds are there. Um, also, just to stress maybe that um, the fact that the two finds were found from Kilkenny, I think, is, is very significant as well, um, showing that there was a centre of affluence and influence at this time. So just lastly, just like to acknowledge, of course, the Royal Irish Academy and the um, Queen's Radiocarbon Scheme, um, also TVAS, um, Kilkenny Archaeology, and our um, archaeobotanical colleagues, Nicola Gilligan, Dr. Ingelisa Scoots, and um, Mick Monk. Thank you very much.